1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. On this last Thursday, we covered verses 1 through 11. But I kind of wanted to, felt like I gave short shrift maybe to verses 8 through 11. But to, to catch you up to speed, if you weren't there on Thursday, th- on Thursday we talked about Galatians chapter, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, if you don't know, it's a coming age. It's not necessarily a 24-hour period. It's a coming age when God will judge the world, when he will judge the world system. It's the time when he comes because the word says that he's patient and that he's not willing that any should perish, right? So he's, he is waiting and waiting. Sometimes, I, I mentioned this on Thursday, sometimes his patience is excruciating. Uh, when, when you see what happened with the, with the Amish school, it's like, Lord, are you coming? Um, he's, he's waiting and waiting, but there will come a time called the day of the Lord when he will pour out his wrath and judge the world system. This will be a dark day. It's a great and terrible time, according to the Old Testament. It was prophesied in the Old Testament many times. We talked about that on Thursday. If you're interested in, in doing some research, you can look in Amos 5. On your own time, Amos 5, Joel chapter 2, Jeremiah chapter 46, Isaiah 13. Those are four of many places that talk about this day of the Lord. One more time, Amos 5, Joel 2, Jeremiah 46, and Isaiah 13. But suffice it to say for this morning, this is, for those who go through it, a day of great tribulation. And Paul said in our text here, Paul said it will come like a thief in the night. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, there it is, so comes as a thief in the night. Meaning, suddenly, unexpectedly. Verse 3, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Pretty dark time here. Pretty scary words, if you will. But look at the pronouns. I want you guys to notice the pronouns in verse 3. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. See, Paul is talking in that, that verse about unbelievers. How the day of the Lord, when it comes, will catch them off guard unexpectedly, and it will be a terrible day. But look at verse 4 now. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. The title of the message this morning is, Are You Ready? That's the question. See, Paul here, in verses 3 and then... Verses 4 through 7, he's contrasting the fate of unbelievers. He calls them sons of darkness, sons of the night, with the fate of believers, sons of light, sons of the day. I mean, it's probably too obvious to mention, but believers and unbelievers have very different destinies, do they not? The destiny, it says, of the unbeliever is darkness, eternal nighttime. But the destiny of the believer is light. Did you know in Revelation 21, it says that there's no need for a sun in heaven. 
There's no need for the S-U-N in heaven because Jesus, the S-O-N, provides all the light that's needed, just his mere glory. 1 John 1.5 says that this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's why we talked about last week the transformation in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's why it's necessary. We, if we, if we have darkness, we cannot reside with him. But he changes us in the, the twinkling of an eye, it says. This is another reason, though, why I believe that Jesus will rapture us before the tribulation. Because it says here that we are sons of the light and of the day. And this day of the Lord is a very dark day. But the point that Paul's trying to make here, if you're with me, is that we have a very different eternal, since we have a very different eternal destiny from the world, Paul says we should be making different decisions. Right? Because our destiny is different, we should make, be making our decisions differently from the Lord, from the word, world. There you go. Verse 4, again, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are also all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. In other words, look, you guys, we are sons of the light. We are not sons of the night. We're sons of the daytime, Paul is saying, so act like it. We are sons of the day, so we should be acting like it. When Jesus returns, he's going to find two very different people, people groups. There's going to be two different pictures, and we talked about this just a little bit on Thursday, and this is where we're going to expand some. He's going to find the sleeper, the drunk. If you will, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. To the sleeper, to the, the spiritual drunk, to him the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will be like a crisis. It will be like a home invasion. But the other picture we find, when Jesus comes, he should also be finding, verse 8, a soldier. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Those of you who have been with us since the beginning of Thessalonians, what's the main overall overarching theme of First Thessalonians? The return of Jesus, right? He shall return, the imminent return of Jesus. Here's the question. When he returns... To you, will he be, will he seem as a thief or as chief? I can tell you, if you are spiritually sleeping or if you're intoxicated with the world, with what the world offers, he, his return will seem to you as a thief. Let me, let me spell it out this way. What does a thief do? He steals. He takes stuff from you, Right? Here's a sobering question. Do you want Jesus to come today? Or if he came today, would you feel like he was taking something from you? You ever, ever said these things or thought these things? Lord, please don't come before I get married. Lord, please, I just want to see my kids graduate. Lord, if you would just wait until this happens or until I experience this. 
Or, if we're honest, Lord, I love this sin more than I love you right now. But I plan to stop. I really do eventually. Just please don't come today. See, if you're living in a certain way, when he comes, he'll seem like a thief. Like he's taking something from you. See, and this is, this is kind of new for me. I haven't really thought about it until I started to dig in here. When you heard the words thief in the night, do you think of like a cat burglar? That's what I did for years. A cat burglar, right? Somebody who comes in, you don't know it, they steal your stuff, and then they're gone before you even know it. But this day, this day of the Lord that we're, we're talking about, he comes as a thief in, in the night, but it's not a cat burglar. It's a home invasion. Second Peter verse three, verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Okay, right now you're thinking cat burglar. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. He's not coming as a cat burglar. It's a home invasion. It's an invasion. He is invading the world. The day of the Lord will come to some people, and I hope no one in this room, as a thief in the night, like a home invasion. Here's my point. His coming can only be a home invasion in your life if you've made this world your home. Philippians chapter 3, if you have it, turn with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 I'll begin there. It says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, he's sad about this, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Then he says, verse 20, For our citizenship is where? It's not in the world. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You guys see it? If you're not looking forward to his coming, if we are not looking forward to his coming, could it be that we've made this world our home? As we've gone through 1 Thessalonians, and I've mentioned this with you, it seems like every book we go to, the Lord seems to hammer one or two points home. We've been talking a lot about his return, right? The rapture. If that doesn't stir your heart, if it doesn't stir my heart, my heart I think that's an indication to you, to me. It tells us something. It tells us that we've settled in. See, Jesus is coming. He is breaking into this world. And it can only be a home invasion if we've made this world our home. Otherwise, what's the other perspective? If we haven't made this world our home, he's coming to rescue us. I remember, I, I didn't find the details, unfortunately, but I remember uh, a couple years ago, there was a girl that was uh, hostage in a hospital in Iraq. You guys remember that? And they sent the commandos in, and they... They stormed the place and rescued her. I can't remember if that was like they, I think they, I don't know if they ended up actually killing people or if they snuck her out. But the point is, for her, that wasn't a home invasion. That was a rescue. 
His return for us, Christian, should not be as a thief, but as commander-in-chief. This is our commander coming to take us home. Verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you need to turn back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober. Now that word doesn't mean, um, you know, sullen and always sad. And it's not talking about alcohol, although we should be sober. But let us who are of the day be sober. It means awake, alert, not intoxicated with the world. That's probably a good way to put it. Not intoxicated, wrapped up in the world, putting on, he says, the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. These are words of a soldier, of armor. This is a familiar, a favorite picture that Paul uses. He paints the picture of a soldier. I get the picture that it's pre-dawn. Interesting, because we're talking about the day of the Lord, and we're talking about really going into the night for the enemies of the Lord. But here I see a soldier who gets up at five in the morning. And he puts on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. This soldier is awake, alert. He's putting on his armor. He's saying, this could be the day. This could be the day when my commander in chief comes to rescue me. I want to be ready. Paul uses this same picture. Most of you are familiar with this. Ephesians chapter 6. There's the, the list, the laundry list of things that a soldier should be putting on. Right? But here... Paul apparently condenses to what he thinks is most important for this particular soldier at this particular time. Romans chapter 13 is the family memory verse, verses 11 and 12. Let me read it to you. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. That's what the message is today. It's high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. How many times do you hear people, or sometimes in your own mind, you're like, wow, it's been 2,000 years, I wonder... You know, you start to wonder if he's coming. Paul makes the point, look, it's much later than when you first believed. So it's nearer than ever. He says, verse 12, the night is far spent. This is verse 12 in Romans chapter 13. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on, here it is, the armor of light. See, this world system is one of darkness. And it wants to pull us in. For you Star Wars people, it's like the Death Star. Okay? How do you overcome darkness? You've heard the phrase, well, turn on the light. Well, in this situation, it's put on the light. Put on the armor of light. He talks about the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. Huh. Do those sound familiar? Faith, love, and hope? Now, if you haven't been with us, they probably sound familiar because they're from 1 Corinthians 13. But if you've been with us, you know that those three stars of the play have been in 1 Thessalonians as well. Turn with me to chapter 1, verse 3. I found this very interesting. I hope you will too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. This was one of the very first things we learned about this Thessalonian church. Paul says, We are remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Faith, love, and hope. And they're always in that order in First Thessalonians. Faith, love, and then hope. 
this is really fascinating to me because what I've discovered as we've gone through is there's sort of an outline here. It's a rough outline. But there's three times when you hear Paul say to the Thessalonian church, hey, you guys have this, this particular subject down, faith. Hey, you guys have this down, love. Oh, you know what? I don't even need to write to you concerning hope. You want to find them? Here they are. Faith, chapter 1, verse 8. Look at it. Paul says, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Paul says, you guys have this one down. You want to find the one about love? Chapter 4, verse 9. Turn there with me. Chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Faith, he says, you don't, we don't really need to talk about it. Love, you guys pretty much have this down. And, and then look, chapter 5 now, the chapter we're in, verse 1. He says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write, write to you. He's talking about the end times, the end seasons, the signs. He's basically saying concerning hope, the hope of our salvation, about how all those things work. You guys pretty much have that down. Isn't that interesting? To me it is. The three different places that Paul has has said, these are the essentials and you guys have them. Verse 8 again of chapter 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. See, he says to the, he said already previously now, twice at least, if if you work collectively, he says to these guys, you have this thing called faith, you pretty much have it worked out. This thing called love, I don't really need to teach you about that. This thing called hope, I don't need to really expound upon that. And yet here, in verse 8, Paul says, here's how you stay ready as, as a soldier waiting for your commander. This is how you do it. He's, and it's interesting to me that it's not some new revelation. It's really just making use of what they already have. He says, you guys know about faith, you know about love, and you know about hope. He says, now put them on. It's putting on what they already possessed. It's taking up that which Paul had laid down for them so beautifully. Faith, love, and hope. Look at verse 8 again. Sometimes repetition helps. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. He says, you guys already have this, but you've got to remember to put it on. You have to remember to put this on. He says the breastplate and the helmet. Now, if you study war, ancient war, you would know that these are the two most critical things that that any soldier would need as far as defense. The breastplate goes from here to here, right? From the neck to the waist. It covers all your vital organs, front and back. It covers your heart. The helmet, it covers your head. Let's talk about the heart first. How do you protect your heart from being sucked into the Death Star? How do you protect your heart from this, the world wanting to make you not ready for your king? Well, he says, you put on the breastplate. You already know about faith and love, but you've got to put it on. Faith and love. Interesting to me that the breastplate has two pieces, faith and love. I don't know which is on the front. But faith toward God and love toward the brethren. That's what we saw as we did this little tour that we just took. Faith toward God will protect your heart. Love toward the brethren, it says, will protect your heart. Here's my point. You guys staying with me? If you realize you've been sleeping 
Or if today, as we're talking, you're saying, you know what? I have been intoxicated with the world. There's two things that this verse says will protect your heart, will prevent your heart from growing cold, growing hard. The first is faith in God. In other words, trusting Him, leaning on Him, fostering that relationship that you have with Him. And the other, though, is love for the brethren. Interesting that loving the brethren can be a form of protection. That's, that's what it's saying here. Loving the brethren is a form of protection. The, the most practical way, what's the most practical way, at least from my perspective, of how to love the brethren? Serve them. That's why we have so many opportunities to serve. Yesterday, at this, this breakfast, we recognized the servants in our body. We gave them, we gave a few of them uh, door prizes. We, uh, we gave some of them Hershey's Kisses, Lifesavers, a big breakfast. I think the breakfast was pretty good. Eh? But according to this verse, one great reward for serving is that it preserves your heart. It protects your heart. Let me put it this way. Serving can be, is, preserving. Serving is preserving your heart. If serving is love toward the brethren in action, then this verse basically says this is an integral part of your, your breastplate. This is how you keep your eyes off of the world and keep your eyes upon Him. It protects your heart. It keeps it from getting hard like the world. If you focus on trusting God, yes, and loving the brethren, you're not going to love the world's system. Does that make sense? If you focus on loving each other, you're going to be a lot less tempted to love the world's system and what it offers. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, you are not ready. So faith and love then protect the heart. And love you can show, you can act out in service. But what about the mind? I mean, today... That's where a lot of the battle rages, right? I mean, this always has, but particularly today in the information age, we are, we are bombarded our minds. There are so many ways today to have your mind poisoned, corrupted. How can I do it? How can I protect my mind? And it's really important because we know the mind is where the battle starts, right? Verse 8 again, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope. Of salvation. So he says the way that you protect your mind is this thing called the hope of salvation. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I hope I'm saved? No. The, the word in the Greek is, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, elpici, elpis, I'm not sure. It's E-L-P-I-C-E. You can work it out. It means a joyful and confident expectation. In other words, the thing that protects your mind is not, I hope I'm saved. It's, I know I'm saved. It's, I know he is coming back to take me away. A.W. Pink pointed out that we have a fourfold salvation. Because you see this word salvation, and sometimes you can, you can get confused, maybe. He says, we are already saved, past tense, already saved from the penalty of sin. Right? That was the very first thing that happened. That you were saved from the penalty of sin. You, you won't have to pay for sin anymore. He said, but we are currently being paid, uh, excuse me, saved from the power of sin. And he talks about being saved from the pleasure of sin. 
I find that to be true. This is, but this is a work in progress. Right? I'm currently being saved from the power of sin to control me. And at the same time, uh, parallel, maybe you'd say, is the fact that sin is pleasurable, right? But it's less pleasurable as you walk more and more with the Lord. So the penalty is passed. The power and the pleasure of sin we're being saved from as we walk. But then the future, we will be saved not only from the penalty and the power and the pleasure of sin, but this is the best part of all, the, the very presence of sin. And that's what he's saying here. That's the thing that we look in the future that protects our mind. Lord, there's coming a day when there won't be sin. There's coming a day when, when you will come and be victorious over this. See, when the world tries to sing you to sleep, right, to get you in the lullaby, or to intoxicate you, we know it's a mind game, right? The very first thing is that it's a mind game. It's him trying to get to plant seeds in your head. I hope you know the devil can't read your mind, but he can watch you and see how, what decisions you make, and then go, oh, okay, well, I'll try this over here. It's a mind game. The first line of defense for your mind, according to this verse, is the helmet, the hope of salvation, the, the, the looking forward to the, to the day when Jesus wins completely, unequivocally, and authoritatively, he wins this battle. Paul has been telling us to wake up as soldiers, to be ready. In verse 8, he's told us how, but in verse 9, we're finally getting there, he tells us why. Why do we need to wake up? We need to wake up because we have an appointment. Right? That's whenever, whenever you're really concerned about having an appointment, that's when you set your alarm, right? You need to wake up because we have an appointment. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you guys have, anybody have your appointment book here? If you have your appointment book or your Palm Pilot, you can take it out now. I'm going to give you an appointment that you'll definitely keep. If the Lord tarries, everyone in this room will keep this appointment because Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, as it is appointed for men to die once. Everybody will keep that appointment. Appointed to men to die once, but after this, oh, here's another appointment, the judgment. See, you guys, death has you in his daytimer. But there is an appointment after that, the judgment. And here the scripture makes a very another sharp delineation. He says believers are not appointed to wrath. What are they appointed to? Salvation. So conversely, unbelievers are not appointed to salvation. They are appointed to wrath. The word wrath there in the Greek is orge, O-R-G-E. And it's important for us, before we go any further, to remember that the context of this verse is the day of the Lord, correct? This word orge means anger exhibited in punishment. Hence, it is, the word is used for the punishment itself. It's a punishment inflicted by someone in authority. What this is saying is that we are not appointed to the wrath that God will bring upon the world at this time, this day of the Lord. Right here in the middle of end times theology talk here in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, Paul says, look guys, we are not appointed to wrath. You guys want to see something interesting? Okay, turn with me a few pages back to chapter 3. 
We're talking about appointments, right? You guys remember if some of you were here, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning the faith. Stop there for just a second. Remember, Paul says, look, I couldn't stand it. I, was, I wanted to know how you guys were holding up under the persecution. Things weren't going well for you because I know you're being persecuted. He says, I couldn't take it, so I sent Timothy to check out how you were doing. Now, look at verse 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. In other words, I wanted to make sure you guys were still holding up, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Do you remember? When we were there, we talked about the fact that we have an appointment as Christians. We have an appointment with affliction, with trial. Now, that's interesting. Chapter 3 says that we are appointed to afflictions and tribulation. And Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, right? But here in chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says we are not appointed to wrath. Do you get it? You don't want to mix up those appointments. Because one is much worse than the other. The key is that chapter 3 is speaking of this current age, right today. We are appointed, guys, to affliction. You don't have to tell my family that. We're appointed to trouble, to trial. We, we will go through things. Interesting, though, Jesus said in this world, that means everybody's going to go through things. But we are not appointed to wrath. Wrath is, this wrath of God is in the, not in this age, the current age, but in the next, the day of the Lord. Currently, we suffer tribulation because this is not our home. You guys see it? A message here? This is not our home. We are not citizens here. The Bible teaches that currently the devil holds sway. He holds dominion over the earth. The, the devil actually has a lot of control over the earth right now. And we are like, for lack of a better term, we're like unwanted ambassadors in his land. We are what he considers on his turf. We suffer trials. Tribulation, affliction, because we don't belong here. We shouldn't belong here. But Revelation chapter 5 tells of when Jesus, the Lamb, opens the scroll, the title deed to the earth, and the, the earth changes hands, if you will. The ownership goes back to its intended owner, Jesus. In Revelation chapter 6, you can turn with, there with me if you want. Jesus, the, the Lamb, declares war on all of the evil in the world. That's where we, where we come to the day of the Lord. Revelation 6, verse 15, read with me. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, who's the lamb? That's Jesus. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? You see what's going on here? Jesus, he declares war. He declares war on the evil in the world because now he has ownership. And who are we? What are we? We're the ambassadors. We're his ambassadors. You guys know what happens when one nation declares war on another nation? What's one of the first things they do? They yank out their ambassadors. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, if you were to back up one chapter, you'll find the church in heaven singing. 
It's as though, it's as though by chapter, I think it's chapter, the beginning of chapter 5, I think. He takes us out, and now we are singing praises. Chapter 5, I think it's verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We're going to be saying those words, giving thanks that he has done this thing. He says, for you were slain and you have redeemed us. That's essentially what Paul is saying now. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 10. Paul says that Jesus died. Who died? That's, by the way, that's a much stronger word than sleep. As we've been going through, we've been seeing the word sleep. It's a softer word for death. But Jesus, the word for his death, is a much stronger word. It's a penalty paid. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, in other words, whether we live or die, we should live together with him. In other words, Jesus is worthy of our praise because he died for us. Sometimes when you hear the word died for us, you think he, he died because he loved us. And that's true. But what it really means is he died in our place. He died for us. Verse 11. Therefore, it says, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Paul says, in light of all this, all that we know that our king is coming back, coming to rescue us, he says, comfort each other. That word comfort, we've seen it before. It's parakaleo. It's the same word that we have for the Holy Spirit. It's one who comes alongside and encourages Maybe today you know someone who needs comfort. If you do, let the Holy Spirit minister through you, and you can let this be your theme. Jesus is coming back. All things, every situation that you can name, and I know some, some situations in this room that are pretty dire. None of it compares to him coming back and rescuing us. Jesus has paid for us with his blood, and he's coming back to rescue us. Those are comforting words. Once again, verse 11, Therefore comfort each other, and edify one another, just as you also are doing. It says edify. That's another command he gives us here. It means to build a house, to erect a building, to build up from the foundation, to restore by building, to rebuild, repair. See, these are comforting words, and we should be able to build one another up with these words. 